Good morning, everybody. You're very welcome to the service, and it's good to have you. Uh, for those who are visiting with us, well, it's great to have you. This is not, uh, this, these folks over here are not normal in that sense. That's a wrong way to say that, but uh, this is our Living Well group. This is the, our retirees, and, uh, and uh, they're going to help us in the service today by kind of being a choir. Uh, they've chosen the music. Uh, thanks to Alan and to Heather for playing on the organ and for organizing that as well. So lovely to have you, and thanks for serving in that way. And Daphne's going to read uh, the lesson as well later on. Thanks to Daphne for that as well. Uh, if you're visiting with us, it's great to have you. Uh, we're in our sort of summer series and uh, we're, we're kind of keeping it informal uh, at the moment as well. So uh, we're just back from holidays. Uh, thank you for your prayers. Uh, it was good to know God with us, and uh, we had a great time in the different places. If you want to know where we were, we'll talk to you uh, later about that as well. I want to start with these announcements. So if you have your sheets here, uh, we'll look through some of these. So um, schools are back, uh, not next this week coming, but the week after that, as far as I know. And we're going to do a Back to School with God Sunday. Uh, that's an SU organized service, uh, all-age family service. Um, and obviously our pupils and teachers and parents, uh, we want to remember them as the boys and girls go back to school uh, the week after that. So do come to that um, and invite people if you want to as well. We have prayer ministry, which takes place at this little table uh, here at the front. So if you've come with concerns, uh, something that you would like to be prayed for, the folks will pray for you there. Uh, we're going to have a, um, our prayer meeting in the months this Wednesday at 7.30, uh, 5 Maple Road in Klonski. And uh, yeah, we'll, we'll meet at 7.30. Lots of things to pray for just as we uh, give thanks for the summer and as we look forward to the new year. I've been reading a lot about fantastic promises that God gives us in prayer. And one this week in my reading was, You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it in John 14 and verse 14. So let's come and let's ask God for real blessing in Adelaide Road uh, from September uh, for that whole new session. You'll see in number four as well that um, Andrew Gill, who was a former uh, member here and youth worker, uh, is to be installed as the Minister of Black Rock and Bray. Uh, I really put this in to give you information about this. It's happening on Friday um, at 7.30 p.m. in Black Rock uh, Church. Um, so we're, in, we're, we're not technically invited uh, because it's a presbytery service. Um, but if you want to go, um, I'm told that there will be uh, room, uh, but you need to kind of go early. Uh, probably for 7 o'clock. And if you would let me know, that would be good, just in case there are lots of people who want to go uh, so that I can tell them in terms of catering. Uh, they're expecting 200, and they're catering for that. But if you do want to go, just, just let me know or let Stuart know um, so that we can tell the folks who are going. And if you're not going, do pray for Andrew uh, as he's installed uh, in this exciting work in Black Rock and in Bray. Um, yeah, just the other thing as well in verse in six and seven there, you'll see that people are looking for places to stay. Um, I, I think that's a huge thing, isn't it, in Dublin at the moment and perhaps in the rest of Ireland. And hospitality is a huge need in our society. And I think Christians, 
should be at the forefront of that. Um, anybody who was at New Horizon, uh, which is a Christian conference in Northern Ireland just passed, uh, would have heard Rosario Butterfield. I didn't hear Rosario, but her second book uh, is about uh, hospitality called Openness Unhindered. And uh, that whole idea of opening your home, being a friend, and meeting the needs of the needy. And so for students, for workers coming in, uh, many of us have large houses and have opportunities where we could serve or even just being hospitable in other ways. So I just put that before you and uh, let's pray that God would answer the prayers of these folks. Norman Sue, who we know, are looking for accommodation. Duncan Smith uh, is the minister's son of uh, a Dunleary minister, uh, Andrew, who was here be, uh, from 2001 to 2008. And I hear he's a very good actor and wants to become a professional actor, and so he's going to the Gaiety School of Acting, having been in London for the last year. So just to highlight that to you as well, if you turn over the page, you'll see that next Sunday in Grosvenor, in the evening, they have their annual missions event that we're all invited to. This is a great opportunity to see many of the mission organizations that are working in the greater Dublin uh, area. And their, their speaker will be Keith Keane of the Langley Institute of Mission. Really, they train theological students for Africa and for Asia. And uh, you can come to that. You're welcome to that. Grant applications. Um, uh, I've received three of those. So if anybody wants to get that in for post-primary or third level for help, it's means-tested. And it's a smallish grant from the Presbyterian Church. Uh, but it's useful. And uh, if you want to provide the information, you can email that if you haven't already got the forms. But it needs to be in by Friday of this week. And I have to countersign that as well. Um, great to see Raphael here. We want to congratulate those who have done well in their leaving cert. Uh, Caitlin and Callum Adair and Raphael uh, and maybe some others. I don't, is there anybody else here who's done their leaving cert? Don't want to leave you out. Um, but yeah, congratulations to you all. And uh, we'll be praying for you later on uh, as God brings you forward in your careers. So that's great. Let's worship God. We're going to sing a great hymn. Um, and I want to read to you from Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6. For unto us, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And it's that idea about peace, the idea that he is the Prince of Peace, that he comes to bring peace between us and God and between each other. And so we're going to be singing about Jesus as the Lord, omnipotent, all-powerful, but his desire is that we would be at peace and that we would know peace and that we would be blessed by knowing him in that way. So let's sing this tremendous hymn, The Lord is Keen, Lift Up Your Voice. The Lord is keen. Well, we're going to pray. We're going to pray in a moment. Um, and uh, the second verse of that hymn, as you sang, is, The Lord is keen, who then shall dare resist his will, distrust his care, or murmur at his wise decrees, or doubt his royal promises. It's easy, isn't it, folks, to sing that 
and yet not trust him. And it's easy to doubt and to be full of disbelief. And that's what we're going to be thinking about as we look at Thomas today. So the question in this prayer is, who or what do we really trust? Let's pray together. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. Heavenly Father, the battle for our heart's trust is unrelenting. This morning we affirm that you alone are worthy of our worship, love, and trust. The Lord is keen. The Lord is omnipotent. But we also realize that you have competitors And we want to name your competition today. In David's day, it was chariots and horses. In our day, it looks more like this. Some trust in their goodness, works, and piety. But we trust alone in the finished work of Jesus and the gift of his perfect righteousness. Some trust in a spouse's affection, a lover's interest, or their children's attachment. But we trust in the steadfast love and great delight you have for us in Jesus. Some trust in stock portfolios, cash margins, and trophy toys. But we trust in the immeasurable riches of Christ and the safe treasure kept for us in heaven. Some trust in beauty, health, or sensuality. But in sickness and in health, in our youthfulness, and our aging, we trust in the truly beautiful and all-powerful one, Jesus. Some trust in being smart, clever, and right. But we trust in Jesus, who is our wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Some trust in being included but we trust in the gift of our union with Christ and the robust communion we enjoy with the entire Trinity. Some trust in job success, a big office, or their name in the papers, but we trust the one who is making all things new and our place in your heart. Some trust in anything that will mask the pain, but we trust in the one who says, come to me, all who are weary, and I will give you rest. Only Jesus can fill, heal, and free us. Father, again we say, it through many peoples, places, and things incessantly vie for our hearts and trust. Only you are worthy. You alone are our Lord, keen and all-powerful. And we pray in Jesus' beautiful and wonderful name. Amen. Well, if you have your Bibles, uh, uh, Daphne's going to come and read to us from John chapter 20. John chapter 20, verse 19 to 31. It's page 1089 or 1090 in your Bibles there. Jesus appears to his disciples and to Thomas. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together, the doors locked for fear of the Jews. Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. 
After he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone his sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Now Thomas, called Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the mark nails in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe it. A week later, his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord, my God. Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are the written that you may, sorry, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Thanks be to God. Amen. Right, yes, now I need to get this open. Let's hope it works. Very good. Now, if you've got your Bibles there, we're going to have a look at this story, uh, the story of uh, Thomas and his doubt. And I want to speak, first of all, about the benefits of doubt. We're going to have, we've been having this over uh, the summer months. We've been having conversations with different people. And our conversation today is with Thomas, okay? And we really want to look at the benefits of that. So there's no excuse, isn't there, uh, today for not knowing things. You don't know something, you put it into Google, and Google tells you all about it. So there is no real excuse for not knowing about things. It's one of the benefits, isn't it, of the internet and of having that opportunity to search. So when I wanted to make blackcurrant jam, uh, we have three blackcurrant bushes. I googled it on the internet and I did exactly uh, what it said and lo and behold I have blackcurrant jam. I nearly brought it in because it's so thick you can't even spread it. <laughs> if you turned it upside down it wouldn't come out and you could put the knife in it and turn it upside down and it still wouldn't come out. So nobody's going to be getting my blackcurrant jam but I did follow what it said on the internet as well. But we don't always know that what we see and what we hear is true. And I love, actually, my Saturday Irish Times. And I brought this week's with us. I know some of you love the Irish Times as well. But if you get the news, uh, the weekend review section, there's a great quiz on the back page. And it's called, Have I Got Fake News For You? So I thought I'd try it out on you. Okay, I'm just going to do the first question. 
Okay, so there's four things here. I'm going to read them out. One of them is false. Only one of them. Okay? So have I got fake news for you? Uh, question number one. Which one of these news stories is fake? Which one? In a 1932 Rolls-Royce car has passed its NCT. Number two, or B, the Kerry footballers there in the All-Ireland final, for those who don't know, have called uh, in a local druid to help them break Dublin's drive for five. If Dublin win in a couple of weeks' time, they win five in a row, and so Kerry have called in a druid to help them with that. <coughs> this is one for the teenagers. C, a desperate teenager whose mother confiscated all her devices, sent a tweet out from her smart refrigerator. <laughs> D, a man who used a special license plate to try and fool speed cameras has ended up with fines of 10,700 euros instead. So which do you think? B, okay. B, okay, any for A. Okay, some for A, for the Rolls-Royce, okay, you, you think it wouldn't have passed its NCT. B is, NCT is the national car test. So they have to get tested, those cars. So, okay, anybody, B is the Druid one. Hands up for the Druid, so some for the Druid. C for the text from the fridge. Okay, that's good, good actually, numbers for C. And D, the man who put a license plate on to stop paying the tolls, okay? Yeah, I've always been tempted to do that, but never, <laughs> never done it, you know, or something like that. Well, the answer, by the way, is the Druid. Number B, everything else is true. So I learned something today that you can send text from your refrigerator if it's smart as well. Okay, so the idea is, what I'm trying to get across is that doubt is healthy. You don't want to just hear those stories and think, I believe everything I read in the newspapers. I believe everything the minister tells me. I believe everything my teacher tells me. So what you've got to do is that doubt is healthy. Because it's, it's important that we think about what we're being told. It's important for knowledge, and it's also important for justice. That's why we have a system of legal where you have to prove beyond <coughs> reasonable doubt, for example. And actually, we admire people, don't we, who don't just take things at face value, who say, I must check that out. People whose eyes are open, who are not gullible and naive. And that is why we like Thomas. We actually quite like him, because he said it as it was. And Jesus liked him too. That's why he picked him. Thomas was one of the first disciples that Jesus picked. A man who challenged, who challenged the norms, who stated his own mind on the matter, and required reasonable evidence before adopting a position. So this morning, we're not really just going to look at the story. We're going to try and look at the idea of doubt as experienced by Thomas regarding the vital issue. And it's an important issue, by the way, of Jesus and his <coughs> resurrection. So if you look at your Bibles, you'll see that Thomas is absent for some reason. Okay? So he's not there on the night that Jesus appears. 
uh, to his closest followers in verse 19. And evidently they're unsure about Jesus as well. And they're afraid because they have the doors locked. And the ladies have reported what's happening. But when Thomas meets them, note what he says. They say, we have seen the Lord. Five words, which are absolutely amazing. They change the whole course of history. They change the world. We have seen the Lord. Amazing. And that requires Thomas to stop. Whoa. He hasn't seen it, but the disciples are telling him it, that it's taking, true, taking place. In fact, it's, it's a surprise, isn't it? People don't just rise from the dead. People just don't come back to life. It's without sight his normal reasoning. I once ate a daffodil to prove this point when I was in another church. Um, uh, people said, you know, something, you're going to go home and you're going to say your, your minister has ate a daffodil. And people say, no, he didn't. That's impossible. He's Nobody would do that. But I did it. And apparently you can do it, but children don't be doing it. And I'm here to tell the story. But I did do that. But do you believe me? It is important that we challenge the things that are outside of our normal thinking. And these witnesses are saying, by the way, that Jesus has risen from the dead. What will Thomas do with that? Well, he does what any normal person would do. And if you do have your Bibles, I do want you to look at this. Because it's in verse 25, I think it's there. Just listen to him speak here. Try and imagine him. Unless I see the nail marks in his hands, picture as well, and I put my finger where the nails were, and put my hand in his side, I will not believe it. And you're probably saying, good for him. That's great. That's exactly what I would say. And that's okay. Not being there, by the way, was a big issue for Thomas. And I want to ask you, is it a big issue for you? Because our absence puts us at a disadvantage. And the resurrection's vitally important, but you didn't see it. You weren't there. And you didn't touch Jesus. And I find myself saying of lesser things, don't you ever find yourself saying this? You had to be there. Usually when I'm trying to tell a funny story and people aren't laughing, I have to say, you had to be there. And I'm trying to convince them that such and such a thing happened. But what I want us to do today is... In intriguing to see how Jesus resolves this issue. What might it mean for our doubts and concerns that we weren't there either? Is it possible to believe in something so important and outside of our normal reasoning? And if we start from where Thomas is, he doesn't believe so. Verse 25, I will not believe it. I will not believe it. And interestingly, his fellow disciples are unable to help him. And we have to wait for another week before we find out what happens. But let's sing another song. And I think Heather's going to come and introduce this one to us. And then we'll sing and hear another little bit later. Hymn. This is the children's hymn, God is Always Near Me. And I want to tell you why we picked it, if we could have the words up, Ethan. Um, 
because it's a hymn that has stayed with all of us sitting over there all our lives. We learnt it when we were your age at the front, and we've never forgotten the words because it says that God is always near me. And if you think of the story of Thomas, I don't know what Sam is going to say, but God heard Thomas say, I'm not going to believe unless I put my hand on his side. But God knows all my thoughts, all my deeds, all my work and play. So we have to live remembering that even if we're by ourselves, God can see into our minds and he hears everything we say. And that's a good thing if you look at verse 2. God is always near me in the darkest night because it might as well be a summer's day for God and the middle of the night can be very frightening sometimes and we've all found in life there are good things happen and bad things happen and it's good to know that God is always near me for sure. And then verse 3 We weren't sure whether we qualified for this or not. God is always near me, though so young and small. But God is our father, and we are his children. And therefore, I think we do. And the sum of it all is not a look or word or thought, but God knows it all. And Alan's going to play through the hymn one verse, and then we'll join in. Just in case you don't know it, you can listen in for this hymn. And I hope the boys and girls will... um, Take this into their week and into their lives, that God is always near me. Of the story. Let me just get organized here. Um, now, I think we have... Yeah, so that we've, we've looked at this idea of the benefits of doubts, okay? And then... We're going to be looking now at doubts disturbed, addressed, and rebuked. That's a lot going on. But I just want you to follow through the story now, if you'll go with me. So look at verse 26. Jesus suddenly appears. And the amazing thing is that the doors are locked. The disciples are obviously cautious and afraid. Uh, They're living at a time when the authorities were the ones who crucified Jesus, and they're wondering, well, that happened to me as well. And they weren't going to let anybody easily gain access. So the point is that when Jesus appears through the locked doors, that's an amazing disturbance. It's as if I just appeared. I didn't come through those doors, didn't come through those doors. I just came here, and you're seeing me. That's what happened with Thomas. That's disturbing. That's the reality. And he's confronted, isn't he, by the miraculous nature of what has just happened. And that's the means that Jesus uses to confront his doubts. But I still want you to keep thinking not so much about Thomas. He's had his moment. He's seen Jesus face to face flesh to flesh. And actually, one of the pictures, which I didn't put up of Caravaggio, which is quite famous, is shows Thomas putting his finger in the side of Jesus. But he never did it. If you read the scriptures, he didn't have to do it. So the question becomes, doesn't it, what is the relationship between Thomas seeing Jesus and you seeing Jesus? You're seeing, Thomas seeing, and you're believing. That's the big question. 
Secondly, his doubts are addressed. Thomas and Jesus are face to face. They're in the same room. And look at what he says. It's really surprising. And that's why I was saying this earlier on. He says, peace be with you. The you here, by the way, is plural. It's not just talking to Thomas. He's talking to all the disciples, to everyone present. Now, it could be that he's simply saying, look, you were afraid. Don't be afraid anymore. In other words, be peaceful. But it's probably more than that, isn't it? In John 14, Jesus promises peace. He says, my peace I leave with you, not as the world gives. And he's talking about the coming of the Holy Spirit. So this pronouncement of peace is a statement, isn't it? It's a victory over death. Death has been conquered. The Holy Spirit has come. Peace is theirs. And so this statement is a vindication of all the promises of the Old Testament and Jesus that peace has been given by what has happened on the cross and the resurrection. Amazing, isn't it? Peace be with you. And thirdly, then, his doubts are rebuked. And I think this is the key point in this story, isn't it? We have a cautionary saying, don't we? We often say, say, be careful what you wish for. In other words, we're careful about what you want to happen. And I think that, uh, you know, what Heather said was really helpful, very useful, isn't it? I used to sing that song as a boy, by the way, in Ballycastle. Um, so it goes beyond that a long time back as well. Um, and I suppose the bit that always frustrated me was the second verse, you know, he sees you. <laughs> I was always wondering, okay, he sees me doing all these things. I don't like that really, if I'm honest. Um, but he knows, doesn't he? If you look at what Jesus says, it's as if he heard Thomas say what he said in verse 25. And I believe he did hear him, though he wasn't there. That's the point, isn't it? Jesus is directly face to face, holding the evidence before him, and it reads like a rebuke, doesn't it? Jesus doesn't think much of his doubts, his emphatic stop doubting and believe. So what does that mean for what I said at the start? Am I contradicting myself by saying that doubts are good? Are we just to fall into line and say, because I say Jesus rose from the dead, because the Bible says it, that you just blindly follow it? Or is there another way that we can look at this? And of course, I think there is. Because the answer here is that Thomas should have believed the testimony of his fellow disciples. He knew them. He knew their character. He knew that they too would struggle with such a belief. He knew that they were all saying the same thing. We have seen the Lord. In fact, he knew that it tallied with what the woman had said to him, the account that had been given by Mary and then the other woman as well. And if he had remembered, it tallied with what Jesus had said, didn't it, on several occasions to the disciples before it actually happened. I will be crucified. But three days later, I will rise from the dead. Thomas should have come to a, belief, a place of belief on the testimony of the other disciples. And that's the question for us, isn't it? Do we need Jesus to physically appear to us before we will believe and commit ourselves wholeheartedly to him? I hope not.
because then we would be demanding evidence that we don't often demand of other important things. So we'll stop and think about that, and we'll think about doubt and disbelief in a moment. But let's sing again another fantastic hymn, Amazing Grace. Great. Well, I want to look at this next section, which is doubts and disbelief. So if you look at your your Bible there again, you'll see that uh, uh, Jesus increases the pressure on Thomas, doesn't he? In verse 27, he says, stop doubting and believe. And actually, a more accurate translation, if you have the ESV, and I did check this out, is stop disbelieving and believe. And that raises the question that ultimately I think I want to leave with us today. The difference between doubt and disbelief, or the relationship between doubt and disbelief, because it would be wrong to equate the two. I'm not saying that to doubt is disbelief. I want you to hear that. Doubt is good when it leads us to search things out, when it seeks us to check what's going on. It protects us, as I've said, against gullibility. It protects us against in the search for truth, or it aids us in the search for truth. But we should be aware that the Bible is clear, that the dangers of doubt, the good things about doubt are those things, but the danger is that it can lead to disbelief. And for Thomas, Jesus thinks that credible eyewitness testimony of the disciples should have been enough for him. And for us, that means if we read the Bible, if we search out our arguments, if we have rational arguments for things, or good research for what we do, and we come to reasonable solutions, then we need to believe because we've sorted it out. And so often we're biased, aren't we? So often we don't want to hear those truths. We're so set in our ways, whatever. And Jesus calls Thomas out on his last words, doesn't he? When Thomas says, I will not believe it. That was what was wrong. So honest doubt is acceptable. Dishonest belief is not. And admittedly, this is difficult for us because we don't always know our hearts, don't we? But that's the point, isn't it? Jesus knows us. So we've been singing. He doesn't like duplicity or being lukewarm. And what do we do with such a thought? Well, if you have doubts, examine them. Read them, read about them, read round them, talk to others. And if it's really disbelief, despite the evidence, then repent and believe. And that is what Thomas did. I don't know if I have another slide or not. Um, Yeah, what does it mean for us? Well, firstly, his declaration replaces doubt. Jesus is looking at Thomas. Thomas is looking at Jesus. And in that moment, faith replaces disbelief. He doesn't need to do the things Jesus invited him to do. He doesn't have to walk across the room. He has this massive transforming moment, hasn't he? And he articulates it in verse 28, my Lord and my God. So Jesus, Thomas now is a worthy, righteous man. He is divine and he is worthy to be followed. And in that moment, Thomas becomes a worshiper, a believer, a disciple, And that is all that really matters. So what does it mean for us? What do we take home with this? Well, I hope that by looking at this story afresh, that we've been able to look at the importance of what doubt is, 
and also disbelief and the relationship between the two and the importance of eyewitness evidence. You need to read that story again and think about it. But verse 29, I think, is for us, if you look at that as well. What does it mean for us? It means that Jesus is speaking to us. That's part of what we've been saying, this idea of Thomas seeing, but us believing. Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen, that's you and me, and yet have believed. Jesus expects those of us who were not in the room, not physically present, to be believed, to be believers, and to receive the blessing. And how are we going to come to that belief? Well, the next two verses tell us in verses 30 and 31, John's words. The answer is through reading the stories, the stories of Jesus, the eyewitness accounts, and you have them in your hand this morning. And so you can make the journey that Thomas made from your seat. You don't have to go to him physically. You don't have to touch his hand. You don't have to put your finger in his side. You just have to hear the eyewitness testimony of those who were there. The Bible tells us in Romans 10, faith comes from hearing. That's what it says. These are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So what can you do? Well, one of the things that I really enjoyed this week and don't have time to talk to you about is just the idea of, of peace in the Old Testament. That's where this promise, peace be with you, it was promised right from the very beginning. We sing the ironic blessing. We'll sing it to Andrew on Friday, probably. What does it say? And give you peace. Numbers 25 talks about a covenant of peace. We read from Isaiah 9, didn't we? Because Jesus was promised as the Prince of Peace. And when we go to that magnificent chapter in Isaiah 53, we read that it was his punishment, his death on the cross, that brought us peace. And we've struggled through the book of Zechariah, the prophet, haven't we? Those amazing visions that he had. And in Zechariah 9, we say that the whole, he was proclaiming peace to the whole world. And so we have a representation of the world before us today, because that's what Jesus did right from the very beginning. Peace I leave with you. We can speak with someone who believes. Speak with me. Speak with your elder. Speak with another Christian who you value. Talk to them about your doubts. Talk to them about the questions that you have. Engage with this reality. Thirdly, just be careful with doubt. Don't deny it. Search out. Think long and hard. But don't become a person of disbelief. And lastly, be transformed. Take that step of faith. Commit yourself today, maybe for the first time, maybe afresh, when you look at Jesus face to face, not physically, but by faith in what is written, and you say, my Lord, and my God. Let's pray. <coughs> Father, we thank you for this brief look at the life of Thomas. And we thank you for his doubt. And Father, we pray that we, if we doubt, will take time to research the stories of Jesus. 
We thank you that you have given us lots of evidence, not just in Jesus, but in creation and in so many other ways. But primarily you've given us this evidence in your word. We pray that we will read and absorb and enjoy and think through what you are telling us. So, Father, we thank you for this opportunity that we've had this morning just to think about our hearts. So often we don't know our hearts, but you do. We pray that you will lead us in belief and that you will lead us in faith and that you will lead us in commitment and that we will truly say, my Lord and my God, and that we will follow you wholeheartedly. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're going to worship God as we give our offering to him now. Yeah, it's quite a sad song, I suppose, in some ways, but it's lovely just to think about those sentiments. Um, I've been away, as you know, for a, a whole month, and uh, it's good to be back. But it's lovely to have Rebecca with us this morning. And uh, I know that she's been at church, but uh, Rebecca was uh, out of hospital uh, this week, isn't that right, Rebecca? And has returned home, um, and hopefully not to be back again. So that's great, Rebecca. We're really glad to see you, and glad that God has done such a good thing in your life. And we praise Him for that, and we want to support you and Gary and and Ruby, um, and and all of that. And uh, so let's pray. Um, the things I've chosen today, I suppose, um, I'm just just trying to catch up on the news, and a lot of it's sad. Uh, I want to pray for Sudan. Um, Afghanistan, 63 people died at a wedding. Um, and some of it is positive. Rebecca and Annie, of course, and our Leaving Search students. So let's just take a moment to pray and pray that God's peace would be known in this world. Father, when we take ourselves outside of ourselves into this broken world, we can pick many countries in the world and we can look at things that are particularly difficult. And just thinking about Sudan, Father, and the sort of division in the country now between what was, you know, uh, South Sudan and Sudan itself. We think when we start to read about Sudan, we remember the Janjaweed and the Darfur conflict and the genocide and the tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people who were killed. We think of the injustice of those who did the killing who are now uh, part of the uh, RSF and how their leader is now the most powerful man in Sudan and has signed a peace accord with the civilian opposition. And we thank you for that. But Father, we, and we know that peace is good. And Father, this space for development, this space for discussion, this space for people's lives to kind of bring back some normality, we pray that it will continue. But Father, though that peace is, is there and is good, we realize that it's not like the peace that you were talking about. It's not as deep as that. It's not as real as that. And Father, it's often based on false promises and false assumptions. But we do pray for the country of Sudan. I know very little about their church. I pray for those who are believers there, that you will encourage them in this time. And Father, we pray for southern Sudan, who's had its problems as well, and for the Presbyterian Church of South Sudan. We pray that you will bless their leadership and their people. And Father, we cannot understand 
that we know the evil in men's hearts, that someone would blow themselves up in a wedding feast and kill 63 people because they believe in a different branch of Islam to themselves. And Father, this takes place in the context of peace talks between the U.S. and the Taliban and the Afghan government, and we're told that those peace talks are close to being signed. And yet we know that there is no peace in people's hearts, and that, Father, that we see these things happening on daily occasions. Father, the gospel is needed in Afghanistan, and it has been driven out. The churches have been closed. The missionaries cannot work. And, Father, the church is under pressure. And, Father, we pray for a real revival, a real movement of your Spirit. We pray that people will know the power of the gospel in their lives, that they will see that there is a kingdom that we've been singing about in our first song, that we called it an empire, but it's a kingdom where Jesus is Lord. And Father, where we love our fellow brothers and sisters. Father, we pray for Afghanistan. And Father, we thank you as we come back to ourselves and we, we pray for the education system in our country. We thank you for those teachers that worked so very hard and for the pupils that did their work and for their leaving cert results. Father, we thank you for your deep and precious concern for those students. We thank you that you want them to do what you've made them to do, to worship you and to live well for you and to serve others in their societies. And Father, so we pray for parents and for students, for those who have got what they want and decisions have been made. We give you thanks that there is a joy in that and a settling in that and we pray that you would help them through these coming weeks as they sign and register and uh, Lord get excited about moving into student life and for those who are still struggling to know what to do and which course to choose and father we we know that that's weighs heavily we want to pray that you will just lead and guide particularly as these second round offers come out on Friday and as other courses are made available, we pray that you give wisdom to those who need it. But we thank you, Father, that you care. We thank you that you want to be involved. We thank you that we can pray to you and ask that you would do these things. And Father, we want to pray and give you thanks for Rebecca finally being home. Father, it is a miracle of what you have done in her, in her brain, as it were, what you've done in her body, uh, Father, we want to just give thanks and praise you that you have heard our prayers. That, Father, that you have restored her to health. And, Father, we pray that you will continue to be with her and Gary and Ruby as they walk uh, on this journey of continuing recovery. And that, Father, that they will know you with them. That you are the risen Lord Jesus and that you love them deeply. Father, we give you thanks for Annie. We thank you that she's doing so particularly well. We pray for her in Donegal as she visits her brother and her niece this weekend. We pray that you will just give her a good time there. It's a long time since she's been home. We pray that you will help her just to feel welcomed, that you will just keep her well. And Father, that you will just be with her as she walks through these next weeks and months of possible further surgery and of 
just knowing what you would have for her to do. And Father, we thank you that you are with us. We pray that you will just help each one of us. We pray for Andrew as he goes back to work and travels today. We pray for those who are visiting with us, that you will meet them at their need, whether they're on holiday or whether they've just come for the first time. Father, we pray that we'll be a community that cares, a community that loves one another, a community that knows the peace of the Lord Jesus Christ. So, Father, we thank you for this meeting. We thank you for your presence with us. We thank you, Father, for, for the living well folks and for their uh, ongoing service of you uh, and, uh, Father, for their participation today. And we pray that you will bless us all as we meet with you. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, let's stand and sing, Guide me, O thy great Jehovah, as we finish our service. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all evermore. Amen. Book. We have tea and coffee upstairs, and you're all very welcome to stay and chat for another while longer. Um, and I don't know if there's any Tipperary or Kilkenny folks in the audience today or the service today, but uh, Tipperary, I hope, will win. And uh, uh, we hope that that will be a good day today. <laughs>